Today with me is a great friend of mine, Celinda Lake, who has been a Democratic pollster for as long as I've been in politics, I think. But no one knows more about women's issues and how they poll throughout the country. But the reason why I really wanted Celinda on is she has watched over the years the issue of choice, the issue of reproductive rights and polling. And this became a topic that one country was very engaged in and concerned about after the reversal of the decision because rural women disproportionately are affected by the distances, by the lack of support systems within their communities as they are confronted with making these difficult choices. And so I wanted to talk about the impact of the Dodd decision on rural America, but also the impact of the Dodd decision on voting patterns in rural America. As we were scheduling this, lo and behold, Kansas voted and everybody said they were shocked. I was not shocked. I reminded people that personhood, which was on the ballot in Mississippi and North Dakota, both rejected personhood, which is nothing more than saying protection should begin at conception. That was a bridge too far, even in North Dakota. So it didn't surprise me. But Celinda, were you surprised by what happened in Kansas? I was, I have to say, and I had been involved working with you and others in the North Dakota initiative. We were the pollsters for that, against that. And so I knew that there would be more strength in the rural areas than people thought. That said, I was surprised by the margin and I was surprised by the surge in turnout. We saw both, we saw it closing and getting even. We saw turnout increasing, but nothing like the blowout that actually happened. It was amazing. So tell me why. You were part of this, watching it, biting your nails, what's going to happen, <laughs> knowing that this has ramifications, it has consequences. <laughs> I can say yesterday, though, unlike it, it has consequences, not just for Kansas, but for the rest of the country. And what kind of pressure was that on the team that was working so hard to bring constitutional rights or solidify constitutional rights in Kansas? Tell us about the emotion of the moment. Yeah, it was a lot of pressure and a lot of people deserve a lot of credit and just a phenomenal campaign manager and phenomenal involvement with all of the groups. And we were working with some of the groups coming in nationally and people really stepped up with money and organizing. But I think the key, and you will love this, Heidi, was actually the grassroots organizing. Women in Kansas spontaneously Republicans, Democrats, and independents reaching out to other people, telling them what was going on, registering them to vote. There was a huge surge in registration. And 70% of the new registrants were women, a lot of them younger women, who had no intention of voting in an off-year primary. That's why originally the proponents of this initiative had picked the August primary deliberately because it has such show, low turnout and such heavy Republican turnout. And they well, found they were hoisted on their own petard because women responded and women in rural areas responded. Now, the messaging was slightly different in the rural areas, and it was very comparable to one of the messages that we used in North Dakota so profoundly on the personhood initiative, which is that you can't make this decision for someone else unless you've walked in their shoes. And that was very powerful. But there were some unique circumstances in Kansas. First of all, it was an amendment to the Constitution. 
And Kansans really love their constitution. And they really think that it's a very good constitution. They have rejected in the past amendments to the constitution. It was very confusingly written where you had to vote no to be yes. And people were deeply resentful of that. And some of the most effective ads said, this is a mandate and this is just goes too far. No exceptions for rape, incest, health of the mother, impact on birth control, and could lead to untold consequences. And some of these consequences really bother women in rural areas, like arresting doctors and nurses. I come from a ranch in rural Montana. We don't have enough doctors and nurses to start arresting them. And then investigating and questioning women who had miscarriages. That's tough enough already. Rural women often have miscarriages. And that's really going too far for people. Do you think, Celinda, that the national press around the 10-year-old in Mm -hmm. Ohio who had to go to Indiana, who obviously was a victim of not only rape, but also incest, do you think that, and this questioning of atopic pregnancies, doctors needing to get a lawyer's approval before they provided emergency services, all the real-life examples that were going on in states that had these extreme positions, that that helped as well, that it reinforced the legitimacy of the argument. It wasn't just fear-mongering. This really was happening in real time. I think it was tremendously helpful. And I think that we have to keep the stories coming. And some lesser known stories, like the woman arrested because she had had a miscarriage and the kinds of medicine, medication that she needed to finish the miscarriage care and the second guessing of doctors and the pressure that doctors were put under, the fact that they're trying to go after the license of the woman doctor who performed the abortion. So yeah, I think all of those stories really mattered. I think that they will matter more And I think in the future, and we have to keep those stories coming so that people understand the consequences of what we're talking about here or the ramifications. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'll get that word yet. I don't know if you watched it, but I watched a lot of the floor debate in Indiana as they were passing basically an Ohio kind of ban responding to the access that's provided in Indiana. I think the more you hear the other side and how extreme and callous almost it is. I think the the more they really have exposed themselves as people who really care very little about women, who care very little about women's health. I just can't imagine that debate if even the most moderate of pro-choice women watch that wouldn't be appalled. It was incredible. Well, And I think one of the strongest arguments in rural America, and the further west you get, the stronger the argument, is these are personal decisions that should be made by women, their families, their faith leaders, not politicians. You don't need a politician interfering in the decision at this point in your life. And that's really strong. And these politicians are saying these draconian things. And it's not just in conservative states in Michigan All three candidates for AG said that they thought there should be no exception for health. Obviously, they all got their medical degrees recently. And that um, 
that birth control should be a state's rights issue. People were appalled. Not only are you interfering in this reproductive health care, but you're interfering in my decision about birth control. Are you kidding me? And you need to go back to the underpinnings legally of Roe. And it was a case called Griswold. And it exactly was a state's rights case. Was there a constant? Did the state of Connecticut have the right to cease, seize birth control pills out of someone's bedroom drawer. And so you think about how how to, in today's world, you couldn't imagine someone doing this. And now we're really headed back in that direction. And so I saw an ad, Celinda, and you probably saw it too. I think it's being run in Texas. It, uh-huh. must be, it is the ad where the woman and her husband are getting some very bad news about an ultrasound from their OB. And he said, there's only one person who can make this decision. And she starts to talk and he goes, not you. And he goes over and he calls the governor. It's, it's a fabulous ad. It's just a fabulous ad. And it really is a strong response. And it's a strong response to their accusations about abortions later in pregnancy too, as well as just abortions generally. It's a wonderful ad. I encourage all your listeners to watch it. It's just amazing. And one of the things that's really strong in rural America is this whole notion of freedoms and that they are taking away freedoms that we've had and that they are taking away our freedoms. And where does this stop? What's next? Yeah. I have a friend who is a PhD in behavioral science. And Mm -hmm. she said that what they don't understand is it's one thing to deny something that you've never had. The reaction, the human reaction is completely different when you take something away. And that's exactly right. Really what they're getting into. But I want to focus a little bit on on the issue you've been talking quite a bit about, which is rural America. I think there is this perception, and probably by a lot of our listeners, that rural America is this place that's deeply culturally different than the rest of the country, that 90% of the people are right to life and they would not provide for any exceptions. And I keep saying, this is a very nuanced issue in rural America. So I want to talk a little bit about your analysis of the rural vote in Kansas and how that will translate. But let's talk a little bit about what you saw in rural voting patterns in rural Kansas. We saw two things in rural Kansas. We saw, number one, that we did much better than we had thought we were going to do. And even when we didn't get counties, we got up to 40% of the vote. So we really did much better. The suburban vote was the vote that really surged negative. But frankly, it was pretty negative across the board. The second thing we saw was that in rural Kansas, we had up to 20%, 25% of Republicans vote no. When they were voting on this issue, they voted no because they thought it went too far. They thought it was interfering. And it, it has really draconian consequences for rural women. All of these issues that we're talking about, contraception, miscarriage, ectopic pregnancies, something going terribly wrong in a pregnancy. These are big issues in rural America. And then jailing women, doctors, nurses, that's just way too far for rural America. So we also saw an increase in turnout in rural America. Now, rural America has a pretty high turnout, but we saw Democrats coming out in rural America and younger voters coming out in rural America, just as we did in urban America, which we haven't seen for a while. Yeah. One one thing that I looked at is the comparison of the Biden-Trump vote 
mm. the no vote. Yes, you surged and you got good turnout in, in suburban, but if you compare it to the Biden vote or the Trump vote, there's a message there that in rural America, we outperformed Biden by a much higher Way. percentage than in suburban America and Kansas. That's exactly right. And that's a really good point. And I think that you will find, and I think you'll also find the further west you get in the rural vote. The rural vote is not monolithic. And this is one of the things that probably drives both of us absolutely crazy. And the further west you get in the rural vote, the more you're going to have libertarians who really don't like their freedoms being taken away, who really don't like the interference of politicians. I come from Montana, which is a very pro-choice state. And it's because I grew up with, this is none of your damn business kind of attitude of libertarian voters and my own family, which was Republican. Montana is like Kansas. Don't they have a constitutional right to privacy? Yes, they do. And a constitution they love, actually. Yeah. And so I think the Kansas vote is informative. And as these states are not performing the way the the pro-birth anti-woman <laughs> coalition wants them to perform, they're going to get more and more, I think, desperate to tie down a national ban on, yes. on abortion. And that's going to bring in a lot of the dialogue, put this issue front row and center, it seems to me, during the midterms. And so when you... Right. Yeah, when you look at these swing states, be it Pennsylvania, I put Ohio in that category. Maybe I'm wrong, but I no, think you're right. Great candidate, J.D. Vance, who said women should just put up and shut up if they're being abused. You can't leave your husband if if you're being abused, but if you have children, because that would be too selfish on your part. And Arizona, which is another libertarian-based kind of state, when you look at this, what margin would you say, and this is putting you on the spot, I know you can dodge it, but what, <laughs> what increased margin would you say this issue will provide for the Democratic candidates for the Senate and in some of these swing congressional districts? I think it, can, it definitely can provide the winning margin. And I think you're going to see, it's the roadmap. Kansas is the roadmap for the fall. It is register these Democrats and women who are not registered to vote. And the new registrants were eight points Democratic, where Kansas on average is 19 points Republican. So these, it really brought out a lot of younger Democrats and women who had never voted before, rarely voted before. And Kansas is a pretty high participation state. So then you go into some lower participation states that could make a lot of difference. And I think there are 10 races, 10 Senate races where it can make a difference and already has in some cases. Secondly, it can persuade suburban women in particular. And the key for Democrats to win is to win women by more than we lose men. And that is what this measure can provide. So obviously there are other issues and other things that people will be looking at. And then this is an indicator. A lot of the people that are taking such extreme positions are also saying Clarence Thomas was right there. This is a slippery slope where we're going to take away voting rights. We're going to take away interracial marriage. We're going to take away marriage equality. And people, young people in particular, who had no interest in the midterm elections are now getting very engaged in the midterm elections, led well, by young women. Yeah. And now you have, as we speak now, the passage of the Inflation 
Reduction Act to the IRA, which will provide, I think, a further messaging on affordable health care, further messaging on climate that should bring out even young voters who have been perhaps a little disillusioned by the slow process that the Democrats have gone through to respond to the climate crisis. And so now there certainly is a lot of incentive, I think, for younger, climate-sensitive pro-choice voters to get out and vote. And you've been a leader on this. And Heidi, I think you have redefined this issue. This climate change, if you're on a farm, if you're on a ranch, climate change. And secondly, the renewable energy investment is very popular in rural America. So these are things that aren't just for young liberals. These are things that are common sense policies in rural America. Think about this. About a third of all rural counties, as they're defined under the census, are make their living on extraction. So they're, they're mining and there's incentives for mining, responsible mining of rare minerals. There, there is a package that I think is not getting enough attention, but I'm going to talk a lot about it in North Dakota, which really says, look, these credits are valuable, but if you use these credits in transition in places that have been dependent economically on fossil fuels like coal, you get bigger benefits. Mm-hmm. And guess what? You get a bigger benefit if you're going to pay better wages. My friend Joe has taken a lot of heat. I know his heart and I know that he's been out there working for the working men and women of his state, trying to find opportunities for them. And there's going to be incredible opportunities. And so all of these candidates, and we don't have a Senate race this time in North Dakota, but all these candidates are going to ask, why did you vote against that? Why'd you vote against that bill? And on the other side, they're going to be asked by the right to life folks, would you support a national ban on reproductive rights? And so they're really going to get jammed up on two significant kind of currently topical issues. And I always remind people, they always say, oh, this is going to matter in the election. I said, what matters in the election is what happened. Everybody focuses on, I remember the last midterm was like, oh, impeachment's going to be a big issue. It wasn't even on the radar. It wasn't right. even talked about in the last uh, presidential election. And so now what we're what we're seeing is this issue, the issue of reproductive rights and women's issues, the slippery slope discussion that we're having, along with this big climate policy and incentive policy, along with infrastructure, which passed. If I'm a Democratic candidate going home in a tough state, I got a lot to talk about. Oh, yeah. And And the other thing I would add is the prescription drug piece. And even though part of it got deleted from the bill, it's still a first step. And that's a big issue in rural America. 85% of the people over 50 are on a prescription drug medication. This is a huge issue for rural America. And getting those prices down is really important. And you and I both come from states where we can drive 100 miles and have insulin at one third the price that or cheaper. That makes no sense. And so what if you're if you're sitting Congressman, let's take North Dakota, and you vote against this, which I expect he will in on Friday, and you come home and somebody asks you, why did you vote against? It'll run up the deficit. No, it won't. It's actually got two, $300 billion of deficit reduction. It's got tax increases. Yeah, for Amazon and for companies that make over a billion dollars in, in revenue, 
or in, in profits a year. I voted against it because it's going to cap Part D premium increases, or you're going to get lower prescription drug costs, or I voted against it because my state of North Dakota is going to be get helped with energy transition, enabling us to have a future in Western North Dakota and areas that have been feeling pretty insecure lately. You know, it's been criticized for this. The energy credits are fuel agnostic. So it's like a perfect package to have that dialogue of the only reason you voted against it is because it was advanced by a Democratic administration. That's the only reason, because this is a package of legislation that is so comprehensively good for your state, my state, for Montana, for North Dakota, you have no business voting against this. Right. Exactly right. And that is wildly popular with the voters. Wildly yeah, and, popular. And think about this, Celinda. It comes on the heels of, of the Republicans t- telling veterans, we got our feelings hurt, so you can just wait. Which was... Thank God that turned around in the PACT Act with the burn pits. It made them look like what they are, just there for partisan power and right. not to people. And giving each other high fives after they beat it, that's just terrible. There are just some things, and I think in rural America, helping veterans is one of them. That is not a partisan issue. Everybody should be helping veterans, and everybody is supportive of that. And it is pathetic to use that as a political tool and to divide us further. That is outrageous. I always, I don't quote Bernie Sanders very often, but Bernie Sanders says we ha- we aren't done paying for wars until right. the last veteran is of that war is no longer with us, and he is and John Tester was so marvelous mm. standing up saying you've got an all volunteer army why would anyone volunteer if you don't live up to your commitments? But I think the question that I would have is we have a lot to talk about in rural America. But yet we have seen this horrible pattern of if it's a Democrat saying it, it's not worth hearing and it's not trustworthy. And that's being driven by probably the media diet that people have, along with Democrats being cowed a little bit in our part of the world. They don't want to go to the coffee shop and fly the colors the way they used to and engage in debate, which means that it's all one sided. But how do you see Democratic messaging? And on all of these issues, starting with choice, which we know people have made assumptions that you could never win a vote like this in rural America. Kansas proved that's not true. It's a high turnout race. It wasn't just a few people who showed up who were motivated. It was a lot of people showed up. A lot of people on the other side spent a lot of money turning out their votes too. And so how, uh, what, if you were talking to a candidate in, let's take rural, uh, you've got now two congressional districts in Montana, a brand new one. You were talking to the candidate there. What advice would you give them today? I would say three things. Number one, we have to address the economic issues. Right now, Democrats are not perceived to have an economic plan. That is a communication problem. We have been aggressive on the economy. The administration has been aggressive on the economy, but we don't talk about it. And frankly, Heidi, you're a great example. We don't talk about it in the simple ways that you just presented the renewable energy part and the energy part of the Inflation Reduction Act. Engage on the economy. We have to engage on the economy and then talk about our freedoms and that they are taking away our freedoms. They are taking away help for our families. And that's outrageous. And then I would say, 
present the voting record and say, here is the record. You decide. Here is how your member voted. Look at the congressional record. Here's the link. You decide. Because these votes are unconscionable. They just become partisan votes. And that just makes no sense at all. And voters by three to one in rural America want people who will compromise as a, and get something done. And there just is no compromising now. The kind of untalked about topic in our dialogue here is January 6th. You're doing a lot of polling in all across the, the country. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of people's attitudes? Are they paying attention? Are they disturbed? What is this going to be a voting issue at all? I think it has the potential to be a really strong voting issue, and it links to some of these other issues. So people paid a lot of attention to the hearings. Two-thirds of the people paid attention to the investigations. Among independent voters, it was up to 73%. Independent voters don't pay attention to anything in off-year <laughs> elections. And people concluded that it was a criminal conspiracy that it was an attack on our country, that people should be held accountable. And they're very upset to hear that there are candidates who plan, supported, encourage the attack on our country on January 6th, who are running for state and local office, not just Congress and the Senate. And we need to get that information out more. I also think this issue, coupled with other issues, has the ability to really mobilize some younger Democrats who until now have been much less enthusiastic than younger Republicans. But we're seeing that enthusiasm really change. And uh, the the Dobbs decision, more than anything, has impacted that. But I think January 6th is a reinforcement of that. Don't you think in some ways you can link January 6th with the Dodd decision, not just because Trump picked it, but this is what happens when there isn't accountability. And this is what happens when people think that they, they're autocratic. They don't go through the process. They don't respect the process. Mitch McConnell basically confirming someone in three weeks or whatever it was and picking from a list that was not generated globally, but, but generated by a partisan group. And then that the result is you lose your freedom, letting the being so complacent with this president as he is talking about the steel leading to autocracy in this country, that that this really is part of a kind of bigger movement that we're seeing. I wouldn't say with all Republicans, but certainly with the pro-Trump Republicans, that they are willing to give up any of our rights and our freedoms and our democracy so that they can stay in power. That's exactly right. And I think people are also very upset. In rural America, we have very high turnout. I remember when my dad was a judge at the local one-room schoolhouse that where we, was our voting place. And I remember being able to go there and visit with him. And he always let me cast his ballot. My brother got to cast my mom's ballot. And I remember that to this day. Rural America turns out. I in jail today. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'd be called by a Trumper. And local administrators were Democrats and Republicans, and they still are, who work really hard to have honest elections and fair elections. And now they're being threatened and challenged, and people are being knocked off the voter rolls, and uh, their votes are not being counted. That's the antithesis of what people believe in rural America. That is really upsetting. And rural America is a place where you know your neighbors. You've seen them vote for 20 years. 
Yeah. No. And the intimidation of local poll workers is just, it's a frightening thing. This is all, people always like to blame Donald Trump. And I say he certainly has been the leader of the band, but there's a lot of people singing in this choir. There's a lot of people playing an instrument in this band and they know better. People who Congressman Kinziger said it best in five years, nobody will have voted for Trump. Nobody will have supported. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's, I think you'd agree with me that one of the reasons why we have seen this kind of divide in politics is the Democratic Party has gone to the low hanging fruit and continued to fail to work to persuade people who are a little tougher to persuade about the rightness of their positions. And so we started one country to basically, as I said, reintroduce the Democratic Party to rural America and rural America to the Democratic Party. And with that said, it's been tough. When you look at Virginia, the Virginia governor's race, those margins in rural Virginia were devastating to Terry McCollum. And so what's it going to take to get, I think, more people to understand that to have a governing majority You're going to have to talk to people you don't always agree with and persuade them that they ought to give you a chance. Yeah, I think the first thing that it takes is not writing this vote off. You and I have both sat in meetings where people have said, we're not going to engage in West Virginia. We're not going to engage in North Dakota. We're not going to engage rural voters because they'll never vote for us. And that is just a huge mistake. The second thing we have to do is that organizing has to start locally. And it's harder today because rural Americans who are sympathetic to Democratic issues or Democratic, and women in particular, Democratic candidates, are very quiet now because they feel like, I'm not going to engage in this. I'm not going to fight with my neighbors. I'm not going to fight with the people I share a fence line with. And they presume that they are surrounded by avid Trump supporters. And I think this has been very damaging because before we could agree to disagree. We could agree on issues that mattered, like veterans issues. Those were not partisan issues. And so I think it's going to take engaging at the local level. It's also going to take more engaging in local media. Rural America really relies on local media. And people want to get on CNN. I'd rather get on Channel 8's local news broadcast than I would on CNN if I really wanted to influence voters in rural America. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir. I said there's all kinds of rural radio stations. Yeah. Um, rural newspapers are struggling and a lot yeah. of them have shut down, but there are networks of organizations on Facebook and other social media platforms to engage with people on. But we've got to have we've got to have people who are willing to step up. And Celinda, I recently did a project with a group out of Grand Forks called ERA Now that formed after the Trump election. And they, this project came about because a number of the leaders there had tried to recruit women candidates for partisan positions for the legislature. And despite having an opening in rural, in, in swing districts where you could actually win, no one would step up because they said, I won't put my family through it. There, there is, there's bullying. There's the usual kind of back and forth vitriol that happens in politics, but there's people taking it to a whole new level. And it's threatening and it's scary and it needs to be called out. Totally agree. Yeah, this is, and this is something we should probably talk to our friend Barbara Lee about, about the intimidation of women who would just want to serve on the school board. That's right. 
feel about and because we know those are our future congressmen those are, those are our future senators those women who want to be state auditor or state secretary of state something you and I have worked on for a long time yeah, yeah. that pipeline going and so keep hoping that the fever breaks and the temperature goes down and we go back to rewarding people who do the things that matter for us and that we give everybody a benefit of the doubt that they're coming with good intentions. But, you know, that the want to close out by just talking about Kansas, because I've read and reread the book, What's the Matter with Kansas? Remember? Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, Kansas is always seen not, it's been, I think the last time they elected a Democratic senator was the 30s. So this has not been a place like North and South Dakota or even Nebraska that has sent Democratic Oh, Oklahoma or Texas. Kansas has been a drought for Democrats, but they've always been Nancy Kassebaum Democrats, right? Yeah, anyway, <laughs> They've always been moderates. They've always been more small government, traditional conservative, but even Bob Dole. Bob Dole doesn't belong in the today. God bless him and God bless his soul and thank you for your service. So where we could respect Bob Dole, you look at people now like Josh Hawley and you look at these people that are being sent whose their only incentive is to push themselves. So now we've written this book of what happened in Kansas, how did it turn so conservative? And it really was about these cultural social issues. And that's why it's so intriguing to me that Kansas would be ground zero for the initial reaction to the reversal of Roe v. Wade. And what it tells me, Celinda, is that this has been a very vocal, very politically powerful minority for a long time that has gotten a toehold in the Republican Party. It's, it is it is the issue that has driven turnout in a lot of places. And people on the side of Roe had Roe, wasn't going to be taken away, didn't see the threat. The table has really turned, don't you right. think? I think it's completely turned. And we are seeing people worry about backlash. And there was some surge in Republic, conservative Republicans, pro-life Republicans in Kansas, but nothing like the surge on our side. So their side was always energized. And if anything, their side thinks now we've won. We're fine. And our side is the one that is getting more energized. And our side out always has outnumbered their side. Mm-hmm. Our side has been much less enthusiastic, complacent because we had the law. And people in America never think we're going to go back. They think we're always going to move forward. We might make mistakes. We might try the wrong thing, but we always go forward. And this has been a shell shock to women, especially, and men. So I think, and the nice thing about Kansas, and it's not surprising, we haven't had a senator. We have had women governors, and we have one today who was articulate on this issue and just said, this is amending our constitution. This is a mandate. This goes too far. It's confusing, and it goes too far. Yeah. Didn't mean to forget Kay and Kathleen. All really good. Anyway, it is just so fascinating for me. And the door is always open for you to come. If you see something remarkable, we would love to hear from you. Keep doing what you're doing. Congratulations. This is a big victory. Doesn't happen without people understanding the importance of how to present your position in a way that 
doesn't make people defensive, doesn't make people angry, makes people think. And that's really what you help this team do. It is wonderful. that I played very uh, just a very small role, but we are playing a lot of role nationally and spelling this out. And it was an amazing Kansas team. It was an amazing team. And honestly, just it's the best of American democracy. Yes. You see something wrong. People pick up and they do what they've always done, which is turn the wheel of this government back the way it should be. And That's uh, right. I, I think uh, it doesn't happen without good logistics and fundraising and a lot of good minds working together. But it was the enthusiasm and the heart that won in Kansas. And it makes me smile because oh, I, know, I know that not only does it say something about where the public is with, with a choice, but it says a lot about rural America, too. Yes, it does. And it says about where Americans are headed in the fall. And it can be game changing. Yeah. Listen, Celinda, call Thank in. You. I love having you on. Thank love you so much on. for the great work that you've done. We'll live to fight another day, Celinda. Absolutely. <laughs> and thank you for your leadership, as always. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Talk to you soon.